give our Lord some praise and glory. You may be seated. Still have those Bibles? Still in Luke chapter 8? When last we left Jesus and the crazy man on the beach. As Jesus and his disciples stood there on that Gadarene beach with that crazy man running toward them, Jesus Christ was working out his great and awesome plan, wasn't he? And his great and awesome plan was about to knock some socks off. In verses 27 through 29, Luke gives us a a quick but detailed description of this man's situation. He was demon-possessed, filled with many different demons. He tells us that the man hadn't worn clothes for a long time. In all likelihood, he had been running around naked for years. Luke tells us that he hadn't lived in a house for a long time. Instead, he lived in the tombs. Imagine living in tombs surrounded by decaying corpses. The demon had seized this man many times and had driven him into solitary places. At times, this man would have superhuman strength and would break the chains that the townspeople had put on his hands and on his feet to restrain him. But those chains were futile because he would break them every time they would put them on him. Now, this account of the demon-possessed man is also recorded for us in Matthew chapter 8 and over in Mark chapter 5. And Matthew and Mark add a few more details that Luke doesn't include. Matthew tells us that this man was so violent that no one could pass that way. So when I say that those disciples must have been scared half to death, believe me, this was a violent, violent man. And as he ran up the beach toward Jesus and the disciples, they could tell that he was a violent man. Mark tells us that no one was strong enough to subdue him. And Mark also shares one of the saddest details about this man in Mark chapter 5 verse 5. I'm going to put it on the screen because this is so, so sad, I think. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Isn't that sad? This man was in a state of torment. He's in a constant state of agony. He was filled with these demons and he couldn't even control his own body because they controlled it. And they would tell that hand of his to pick up a a jagged rock and, and cut his arm and pick up another one and slash his leg. Those demons would tell him to tear his clothes off, running around naked, no shame, no modesty. There's nothing he could do about it. He was held as a prisoner in his own body. I want you to think about this. This man that scared the disciples half to death and caused them to want to turn and run the other direction was a man who is an absolute, absolute torture. The demons inside him tormented him and refused to leave. His life was literally a living hell. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, there's no way to know for sure if Jesus was asking the man or if he was asking the demons. But the demons answered, we are legion, because they were many. Don't miss verse 31. A verse that I wish every single Christian and non-Christian would read and take to heart. 
In verse 31, it says, The demons begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, what is the abyss? The abyss is basically a bottomless pit. It's a taste of hell. So when you hear that word abyss, think it's a taste of hell. Hell is technically still under construction. And so as it's under construction, in much the same way that heaven is still under construction, it's being prepared for the day after the end of times when Jesus will allow us to go to heaven as it's permanently made and and ready to receive all those who have faithfully served the Lord during this life. In much the same way, hell is still under construction, a place that's being prepared for the devil and his angels. And so the abyss is kind of like a holding tank, kind of like a, a bottomless pit taste of hell before hell is finished. And what are these demons saying in verse 31? They're begging Jesus, please don't send us into the abyss. Now that's so important for, I believe, every single person to take to heart. Because we hear people say things like this fairly often these days. You know what? I'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. What a foolish thing to say. Others have said, my friends and I are going to all be in hell and it'll be one big party. If they only knew what hell is really like. Those who say such things have no clue what hell is like. These demons here in Luke 8 that possess this poor man, you could say they were experts on the abyss. They were demons, for goodness sake. They were experts on hell. If anyone knew hell, if anyone knew the abyss, these demons would know it, right? Right? As far as anyone out there that could be an expert on the abyss and hell, it's got to be demons. And what do they say? They knew what was in there. They knew what it was like. If anyone should be at home in the abyss, Satan's demons should be at home in the abyss. But notice here in verse 31 how they beg Jesus over and over and over and over. Whatever you do, do not send us there. Please don't send us to the abyss. Why? Because they knew that hell will be no party. On the contrary, it will be worse than anyone's worst nightmare. When the demons notice a herd of pigs on the hillside, they ask Jesus to send them into the pigs instead. It's much preferable to the abyss. So here's something that sunk in, even though I've heard this story all my life, something I never really thought about in this way. They asked to go into the pigs In verse 32, Jesus gives them permission to enter the pigs because they believed, these demons did, that living inside a pig's brain was much, much better than going to hell. Think about that. Living inside a pig's brain is much, much better than going to hell. Is hell going to be one big party? Nowhere close to it. This man finally at long last was free. The demons go into this herd of pigs. Mark tells us there were about 2,000 of them. And they go into the herd of pigs. And so the pigs, they're now demon-possessed. And they start running, scurrying down a sharp bank of a cliff. And they go into the water of the Sea of Galilee and they all drown. So now you have some 2,000 pigs floating around along the shoreline on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 37, I think, is one of the saddest verses in the book of Luke. 
those that were watching the pigs, they ran into town and they, they, they told all the people in town what had happened with these pigs and what had happened with this man. In verse 37, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got into the boat and left. They came back, these people from the town, and they saw the pigs floating in the water. And this man that had been running around the hillside for years, stark naked and and crazy and breaking his chains and probably foaming at the mouth and saying all sorts of crazy stuff. And as soldiers would try to contain him, he would lash out violently against them and they would run half-naked themselves back into town trying to get away from this crazy man as quickly as possible. But ultimately, when they saw this man now in his right mind, fully dressed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, they found the man crazy, preferable to the man healed. They found the pigs who were alive without demons, preferable to the man without demons. Isn't that something? They ask Jesus to leave. The people in the town loved their pigs more than they valued the soul of a man. Money was more important to them than mercy. And most tragically, they'd rather have Jesus on the other side of the lake than there in their presence with them. Now, some might excuse them for their actions because, after all, they were really, really scared. It says that right here. They were really scared. Well, yes, they were really scared, but being really scared is no excuse for being really stupid. Being really scared is no excuse for having no compassion. Being really scared is no excuse for grieving for your pigs more than you grieve for a man who's experiencing hell on earth. And being scared is no excuse for rejecting Jesus Christ. When the disciples were on that boat and Jesus had just calmed the storm, they were scared half to death. We've got the creator of the universe on this boat. And he could vaporize me like that. They're scared, but they didn't jump ship. They stuck with Jesus anyway. And just a few minutes later, when those people from the town are scared half to death because they are having this power encounter with the creator of the universe who's just healed this man that no doctor and no witch doctor and no voodoo and nothing was working on this guy for years. And Jesus like that drives out the demons. They're scared. We can understand that, but there's no excuse for telling Jesus to get out of town. Verses 38 and 39. The healed man was now a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, and he begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus told him to do something very important. He said, no, you don't come with me. I want you to return home and tell how much God has done for you. In Mark, I believe it is, that we learn that this area where he lived was called the Decapolis. Uh, Deca is that prefix that means ten. There were ten towns in this region of the Gerasenes. And so when this man went back into his town, he basically went back into ten towns. And he spread throughout the Decapolis what Jesus Christ had done for him. Now there's something about this area of the Gerasenes I didn't mention to you. Being on the southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, most of those who lived there in Jesus' day were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. 
And so they hadn't, for the most part, been over there in Galilee when Jesus was opening the eyes of the blind and and healing the sick and cleansing the lepers and preaching the good news. Most of them hadn't been baptized by John the Baptist, who was baptizing over on the other side of the Jordan. And so here we have these Gentiles that were hearing Jesus for the first time, seeing Jesus for the first time, and they tell him to get out of town. And so Jesus sends this man who had been a raving lunatic for years, running around naked for years, breaking chains for years. Jesus sends him back into the Decapolis, and this guy is telling everybody who will listen what Jesus Christ has done for him. And probably hundreds of people got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because of this one man that Jesus had mercy on. And all over that Gentile area, they got to hear what Jesus had done. Well, the disciples and Jesus, they get back into their boat, and they lift the sail and begin sailing back across the lake toward Capernaum. And I just imagine in my mind what's happening as they shove off from shore, they pull up anchor, they start slowly drifting out, and what is being parted to the left and the right as they're leaving that shore? Pig carcasses trickling off the sides of the boat. 2,000 in the water. Jesus had calmed the storm, so they're just kind of floating in place. And as they're parting through the pig carcasses, they make it out to the Sea of Galilee. And just a few minutes earlier, those disciples were asking the question, Why are we here? You brought us through the storm for this? For the crazy man? Why are we here? But as they started heading across the lake once again back toward Capernaum. I believe those disciples must have said to themselves, now I understand. That's why Jesus told us to sail to the other side of the lake. That's why Jesus took us through the storm. That's why Jesus allowed us to be scared half to death three separate times. First during the storm. Second when he calmed the storm. And third, when we got on dry ground and the crazy man came after us. That's why he allowed us to be scared half to death these three times. That's why. That's why. Isn't hindsight a beautiful thing? Now, what about us here at FCC? Yes, our attendance has been down a bit in recent months. Yes, you look at the statistic sheet and... Some of the other statistics have been down a bit in recent months. It's kind of like at times when I've gotten too focused on a statistic sheet that it kind of felt like the gale-forced winds were blowing and the waves were crashing, and I'm asking, what's going on here? I don't understand. But I don't know about you, but recently Jesus has patiently and lovingly asked me that same question that he asked the disciples on that boat back in verse 25. Remember that great question? Our Lord has asked me, Dane, where is your faith? Where is your faith? As a child, I memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Somehow when we get into the storm, we forget the verses we learned as a kid. It wasn't too many years after that that I was taught that other great verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. 
But when we get in the midst of the storm and and we're looking at what's around us and it doesn't look as pleasant or pleasurable as maybe it looked in past months or, or past years, it's so easy in those moments to walk by sight and not by faith. But I just have to smile when Jesus gently does what he does so well with me. He gently just kind of slaps me upside the head. He doesn't leave a mark most of the time. But he gently reminds me of what I should have known all along. And I have to smile and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding me to trust in you and not in me. Thank you for reminding me to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you for reminding me that our statistic sheets do not even begin to paint the big picture of what you are up to at First Christian Church. You know, there's a bunch of amazing things that God does here at this church that we can never put on a sheet of paper. It's unexplainable. It's unquantifiable. Friends, here's the truth. We are going through a bit of a storm in our church, but it's just temporary. It's just temporary. And we may not see perfectly what awaits us on the other side of this storm, but knowing Jesus, I'm confident that it's going to be pretty amazing going to be pretty amazing so if you find yourself a little down in the dumps if you find yourself hanging your head a little lower than maybe you did in past months or past years church hang in there believe me jesus is working out his great and awesome plan and it's going to knock some socks off that's why we're here We may not understand exactly what he's up to right now, but believe me, you give it some time and we will look back with the gift of hindsight and say, that's why we were there. Now I understand, Lord Jesus. Now I get it. And I do not regret the valley that you took me through because of the mountain that I get to enjoy today. Oh, we go through these times, but Jesus is always up to something. There have been a number of times when we have put out a big message or a big, a big uh, evangelistic uh, effort, and, and Jesus Christ has maybe brought in just a few. I've shared with you the example before, Easter before last, we sent out invitations to five to 10,000 homes in the, in the valley, and one guy came on Easter from those invitations, and that was Dean Last year, God worked a miracle in his marriage, and a few months ago, he moved back to New Mexico. And God started an amazing work in his life because we were faithful to invite. We expected a lot more than one on Easter from those invitations. But boy, was that an awesome one. And the disciples certainly would have hoped that they would personally be able to lead dozens and dozens to Christ on the shore of the Gerasenes. And as they were sailing back home, they only knew of one for sure that had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But that one was enough. Sometimes God has very humble beginnings after the storm. But you wait and see what God does over time. Something amazing. Something incredible. Jesus Christ is at work. And I sure hope you'll be back with us next week as the elders and I share a few more details about what the Lord is up to here at FCC and some exciting things I think He's going to be up to in the days to come. God is at work. And I thank you, church, for being a part of His work here at First Christian. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. 
for giving us the privilege of diving into Your Word, of gleaning the insights from Your Word, being transformed by Your Word. And Lord Jesus, we ask that if there is anyone here who needs prayer, that they wouldn't leave before they ask for prayer. If there's anyone here, O oh God, who needs to make a decision for You, they wouldn't leave without pulling me or someone else aside and asking that question, what must I do to be saved? Lord Jesus, we need to draw closer to You than ever before. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us, Lord, to have compassion for the hurting. Even the ones out there we might label crazy, Lord, may we have compassion for them. Lord, when the world says, I want nothing to do with that person, may we as your followers be the first to reach out in love and acceptance and compassion to that person. And Lord, I pray if anyone here has felt the same kind of rejection that that demoniac felt on the shores of the Gadarene area, if anyone here has felt that same rejection and still feels it today, I pray that you would speak to them in this moment reminding them how much you love them, reminding them that you have a good and hope-filled plan for their future, reminding them that you sent your Son to die for them because you loved them so much. Lord, receive us into your family and help us, Lord, to reach out with those same open arms to those around us, leading them to Christ in Jesus' name.